0: A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Welcome back, Rebels and Imperials, to Force Ghost Coast to Coast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Matt and Liz. And this has been a long time coming. We are talking about the Empire Strikes Back, from a certain point of view, the second collection of 40 short stories celebrating a 40th anniversary of a Star Wars film. Uh, We were going to talk about this back in December, but then, you know, things like The Mandalorian happened, things like the Disney Investor's Call happened, and we just felt this was, like, the least timely of the things we needed to discuss. So I got pushed back,
1: and... um, (laughs) Like you know, like a thirty year franchise really like came aflame in December <laughs> of last year. <laughs> yeah, uh, but not only that. This this is Liz and I were talking a little
0: bit before Matt hopped on the call about how both of us can be pretty fast readers at times, but because of the short story nature of these, this book just it felt like it took me seven or eight years to read this whole book. It it, it was not a quick read, and that's not necessarily an indictment of the stories although there are some indictable stories in here, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's more just like the way that the book was constructed. Matt, do you, do you kind of agree with that? I do. I do.
1: And it, Cause there's only so many times you can go up and down the narrative, like arc before you're like, okay, okay, great. Um, I, I found myself able to read one or two or three in a sitting and then have to move on. Um, it, it became very grueling after a while.
0: Yes. Agreed. Um, the the book is is somewhat structured in sort of sections. The first section is very much uh, the Hoth section, and the Hoth section is way longer than you think it would be. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> This is just oh, like for a five-minute section of movie, it's like Groundhog Day. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot here. I, I think it maybe is a little bit more than five minutes, but it's you know
0: it's not. It's certainly not like the bulk of Empire Strikes Back. But I, yeah. I would say but no.
1: We 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 see
2: one conversation seven different ways, yes. and it becomes blurring. Yes, I, I, I will say that I was shocked at the length of the Hoth storyline in this book. <laughs> because... So I, I I'm trying to I
0: believe. I believe the first 141 pages of the book are all Hoth stories. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get this like interesting section where there's a little bit of Dagobah, there's a little bit of Imperial stuff happening, and you know that section to me felt the most that that had some of the worst stories in it, but also had some of the best stories because it wasn't as beholden to trying to do, like, one very particular... It wasn't just trying to find new ways to do Hoth stories, right? It was it mm-hmm. was, it was, was allowing itself to be different kinds of stories. And then the last 150 pages of the book almost... No, I'm sorry. The last 200 pages of the book yeah. all are Bespin Cloud City-based. Um, yeah. And that's probably too much for that section of the
1: film, too. Yeah, the la- the last 12 stories are all... I'm sorry, 11 of the last 12 stories are all um, Cloud City, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of stories here. Some are good, some are not so good. We're going to talk about a bunch of them. Uh, <laughs> let's start by talking about a story that we all enjoyed. So, Liz, why don't you start us off? What's a, what's one of the stories that stood out to you?
2: All right, I'm going to start, I think, uh, I'll, I'll go in order. There was um, a Hoth story that I enjoyed. It was a Hank Green story. The main character was an ecologist. Um, I believe he had lost faith in the human race, um, and mainly I think he, because of Han's lack of respect for the Tauntaun, freezing to death, <laughs> um, he just took him out sort of willy nilly and had you know no respect for uh, any sort of other life when he was going out to uh, save Luke. And I, you know something I, that you know strikes me about stories like these is that with star wars we tend to always focus on certain characters and you know inevitably there are always other people involved in whatever it is um the rebellion the empire that we don't really hear about um and you know that obviously is what a book of this nature covers um and that you know this character at the end decides to stay on hoth with the tauntauns which Mm -hmm. to me seemed like quite the sacrifice i mean i guess to him was more important especially since he had lost faith in the human race um but i you know i i thought that was interesting just because you know within the star wars universe the rebellion everything um you know these characters are fighting for is held up to be revered. Um, And, you know, I feel like this character was sort of let down by these people for very specific reasons, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. uh, That story I believe is called a naturalist on Hoth.
2: Yep. And
0: um, I, I, I'm just reading the, uh, about the author section about him. And it seems like, um, he is a, uh, He's a YA author. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, and then he also specifically likes to have he creates educational content with science, oh. and so 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 that you know that somewhat tracks with the with the story as well.
2: Interesting, right. yeah, because
1: it has a this is this is my one literary nerd moment because you two always take them, but it very <laughs> much has the feel of the middle of Moby Dick. Um, oh, the Whoa. the chapters about the whale where you study. The creature itself to understand its meaning, and then pull that back together to understand the nature of it. So, hmm,
2: mm-hmm. interesting.
1: Yeah, that was a good in my note. It, it, talk about that, but also just how like meaningful and sad of a story it is. But also, yeah. I like that idea of it taking the focus off of all the rebellion stuff and realizing there's kind of a bigger world about it. Yeah, I like that a lot, Liz. Yeah. Um, while we're talking about
0: sad stories from the Hoth section, let me jump in here for a minute. I want to talk about the story called Kendall by Charles Yu. Ooh. And this story is basically, it all takes place as this character is being killed by Darth Vader. Like, it's it's basically his internal monologue as he is being force choked, right? And... um. There's an author I really like, spe- we're going to get literary here for a minute, named Nich- Nicholson Baker. I don't know if I, either of you have already, ever read any Nicholson Baker, but his most famous book is called The Mezzanine. And it's about 110 pages or so, and it all takes place as somebody is going up an escalator. Like the entire book hmm. takes place in this person's mind on this escalator ride that takes like 30 seconds. It's just this very like detail-oriented, Very um, everything he sees reminds him of a memory, and then you hear about that memory. And so this kind of reminded me of a Nicholson Baker-type story. Um, and it's not like the best story of the book by any means. It was just the first story in the batch to me that felt like it was really calling its shot and going for something. Like some of these stories are just so low stakes and not interesting to me in the slightest. And so when mm-hmm. the story, like it just, it decided it was going to go for a perspective and a, a just try a literary technique that you don't see elsewhere. I thought it was i thought it was really nice and uh the writer of that has uh was one of the writers on westworld the hbo series oh, which nice. i I, didn't, I did not watch but i is on my list of things to catch up on um and so you know I, I thought that was a that was a really that was a really bold choice for a story um so that's my sort of hoth era mm-hmm. story i enjoyed matt was there one from the hoth period that you enjoyed
1: there was, and if we want to double down on Sad, the one that I really stood out to me was she will keep them warm, mm. um, which takes place, It's it sounds silly saying it out loud, but it takes place from the perspective of the Tauntaun that Han rides to look for Luke. Um, and there's a bunch of different stories that take really weird perspectives. We see wampas, space eels, other things, but this is one that kind of really hit home a little bit um, in the way that it it talked about, you know, the sacrifice that the Tauntaun makes that, you know, this bond of these people that kind of enslaved them for lack of a better, you know, analogy, because they were wild creatures. And, you know, even though she wanted to do what she could to be free to run away, that she knew that it was her duty to help And if she was going to give her life to keep those who she was protecting warm, then she was willing to make that sacrifice. Um, And it really just kind of was like, oh, this book is going to go in some different places. Um, And for a book, that, like you said, a lot of them can get really predictable. Hero in Minimal Peril. Hero does something heroic. Gay Kiss is pretty much 90% of the book. But this was (laughs) one that was... A little, a little more than that. So I really liked it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> to me, this is a story that I think
0: maybe worked better in theory than an execution. Um, mm. But it, I, I certainly didn't dislike the story. Um, Liz, what do you think? It was of the story? better
2: than the Wampa one. That was yes, so...
0: <laughs> no, yes, one hundred percent.
2: Yeah, I, I like this one too. This was the story that I had the most difficulty with, I'm going to say in terms of sympathy, where I actually felt the most sympathy for (laughs) the Tauntaun. Mm -hmm. I I feel like I always sympathize, not always, but I frequently sympathize with animal characters um, for some reason, because frequently, you know, they are put in situations that are beyond their control because of human beings, um, along with, you know, the story that I picked, um, which I guess would be the same Tauntaun. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and that actually yeah, lots, up... lots of Tauntaun related yes. material.
2: <laughs> yeah. Ion cannons, so
0: Tauntauns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as I was going to say is that, you know, it's interesting how many of these stories wound up being somewhat, uh, reverent, uh, referential to other stories within the, uh, within the, not only in the film, but also in the story. Like Matt mm-hmm. said, this section, you see us, you see some conversations just like over and over again. Um, mm-hmm. One of the stories I did want to briefly mention. I don't want to get too deep into it. There's a story called "Ion Control" by Emily Skrutsky, I believe is how it's Mm -hmm. pronounced. um, Where you see people they're gambling on Han and Leia whether they're going to kiss or not, (laughs) and I I enjoyed that just as like a sort of a um, you know like a a, I like it when you focus on other characters but see how those characters are interacting with the characters that we know and love without Mm -hmm. creating like it wasn't there's some parts of this book where you're seeing characters we know and love have conversations that aren't on screen but nothing happens in that story that you don't see in empire it's just you're Mm -hmm. seeing it from a different perspective
1: yeah and i there's a couple different there's a couple different points that i like in the book where you see the everyday characters and their views of our main characters i like the idea of han and leia as exhausting (laughs) i like the idea of vader as either terrifying or just weird and creepy Mm -hmm. and you see depending upon who's looking at him both sides of that um so yeah i enjoyed i enjoyed those ideas of like the just off screen um views of things
0: yeah yeah uh is there any other story from the um from the first section of the book that we want to talk about real quickly
1: i think I, i i I don't really, not that I don't want to talk about it, but I think Rogue 2 is one of the ones that we're supposed to stop and examine um, because it's one of those kind of laying in a lot of groundwork to things. It is interesting how it does a callback to Jin Erso and yes. makes Jin Erso a very important piece of the rebellion and the call sign of, you know, Rogue 1 versus Rogue Leader, Rogue 2, um, which is kind of cool and kind of i don't know I, I don't i don't like how again it becomes star wars doing your homework so i don't know how much payoff it is versus just kind of cool trivia but i don't know well, that was a I, I, one. I do
0: like the idea that I, I think that what how can i say this nicely <laughs> this book doesn't have a ton of reason to exist and so, like, to, to, to give it reason to exist is to say things like, well, this, this helps connect Rogue One mm-hmm. to the other Star Wars films. And I, think yeah. that's a, I think that's that's fine. So, yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, I, yeah. Liz, how about you?
2: Um, I, the only other one maybe was um, Rendezvous Points by Jason Fry. I thought it was interesting that they, you know, addressed the idea of training new pilots. I didn't really think of anything else in the Star Wars universe that I've seen. Maybe it's just something I'm missing where, you know, they actually train pilots. Right. Um, I feel like everyone just already knows how to fly or we just hear about, you know, Luke sh- shooting wamparats mm-hmm. back home. Right. Um, and that was just you know, Wedge
1: too. You, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Wedge,
2: wedge <laughs> Antilles yeah. is in this one. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: Wedge, Wedge's swamp ass, a funny well, droid.
2: And yeah. th- this story also has something I'd like to poke fun of, which has the Tantan Musk joke, which <laughs> is, I think is one of the worst <laughs> plot points of the story. Yeah. Um But yeah, that was something uh, I enjoyed. Um, yeah, that's one of the it, first. It, it,
1: it, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I think it's also one of the stories that really um one of the few times we see kind of morality play into this idea of an intergalactic war um seeing wedge not fully comfortable with the idea of killing but has that's part of war and both sides you know get blood on their hands mm-hmm. which is interesting which immediately gets undone by some of the empire chapters we read but it's nice to see at least one author take that into perspective
0: yeah what i was going to say was that so many of these stories try to uh, humanized space Nazis, and this <laughs> this story purposely tries to like show the dirtier side of the rebellion, and so yeah. I, I appreciate that. This is also one of the stories that somewhat bridges the gap between the Hoth portion mm-hmm. and the rest of the book, um, mm-hmm. which I feel like there's some very clean lines that are drawn, and this is one of the few that doesn't have such a clean line, which which, which I like again as well. Um, yeah. All right, well, let's move into the the second section then, the sort of in-between section. And um, I, I'm just going to start with uh, it's the it's a one-page comic book. It's called The Dragon Snake Saves R2. It's <laughs> yeah. by Katie Cook, who's done a lot of Star Wars at uh, the comic stuff in the past. And it's just it's basically just a uh, a like six or eight panel comic where you see uh you know, when when you're looking at the when you're watching the film, it looks like this dragon snake is trying to eat R2, but here it looks like the dragon snake is trying to save R2. And uh, it's just an interesting. I, I like how it plays with something we've seen a million times before. Mm-hmm. And it was cute, and it was fine. Um, that,
1: that's literally the only thing I have written down is cute. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I my, my exact note was one page cute comic.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will tell you that that did not come up on my Kindle. And that's why when I numbered my notes, I only made it up to 39. And oh, no. Really? Yes. Oh. So now I know.
0: Okay. There you <laughs> go. Um, <laughs> Matt, what was the story from this section that you enjoyed?
1: Um, I'm trying to look through because so many of these are terrible. Yeah. Like, they're really, really bad. Um, Oh, oh. Um, I loved. You guys may disagree. Uh, story number twenty-four, Stet, which is essentially like an SNL sketch. <laughs> um Is that the that's that, the 4 long one, right? Yeah, yeah. It's is like gangster writing a or or someone of a criminal family, um, who I think is a midget in a robot suit. Um, yes. <laughs> r- <laughs> writing a news article about Forlom and Zuckus uh, that is just insane. It's filled with all the editor edits. Um, It's just a really wacky, goofy um, story that it felt very, very, like, out of sync of the rest of the book. Uh, But I just liked how kind of kooky it was. Um, it's Again, also brave it tra- enough to have multiple Alderon jokes. <laughs> yes, it, it does. <laughs> um, and you learn a giant bug drinks his calf with cream. Hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We do love calf on
0: this show. That's
1: yeah. A, yeah. It, one of yeah, our favorite it, running it, gags. Yeah, and very. It, it it had a very um a very uh, always sunny in Philadelphia vibe to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the cook just comes out blasting. Um, it ends in a giant shootout where almost everyone dies. Uh, it. I also didn't realize. I don't know. I haven't read anything other about Forlom and Zuckus. I didn't realize the two of them were like a pen and teller gag. Uh, <laughs> but it. <laughs> I wasn't it was aware great. of that either. <laughs> it was great. It it it, it maybe it's probably my favorite of the stories in the book um, from just an enjoyment standpoint. There's others that are clearly better, but this one is just, it's just so great. Liz, was there a story from this section that you particularly enjoyed?
2: Um, I think I'd have to go with uh, The Final Order by Seth Dickinson, Mainly what I remember from the story, it talks about the empire um, and, you know, how it's and why it attempts to gain power and sort of the mach- machinations behind that. Um, it talks about how the bureaucracy of the empire Gaining power um, in terms of legit giving legitimacy to Vader. Um, emphasizing, you know, the Emperor's cruelty and actions. Um, it talks about the purpose of the Empire is to give people like Vader the power to do anything they want. And how eventually the Empire would exist simply for the sake of power. Which is really straight out of 1984. The novel 1984 in many ways. When it talks about the party and its existence, you know, really just to gain power for the sake of power. Um, so I thought some of those ideas were interesting. Um, also, I just liked that the main character's name was Captain Cannonhouse. <laughs> I thought that was a uh, pretty cool. That's
0: a very that's a very Star Wars name,
2: um,
0: mm-hmm. which is always fun. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so the story that I wanted to highlight from this batch uh and after this i want to talk about some of the absolute terrible stories from this batch but,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um it's, it's called lord vader will see you now it's by jo- john jackson miller oh Jack- that's
1: not what i thought you'd pick
0: uh well so th- i picked this one for a very specific reason which is that this introduce this has the character of ray sloan in it mm-hmm. ray sloan is a character that is featured in the rebels prequel book uh a new dawn and then is one of the two or three most major characters in the Aftermath trilogy by Chuck Wendig. And so Mm -hmm. she's an Imperial, I love that character, one of my favorite characters in Star Wars novels. And so a Ray Sloan story will always go over well for me. Um, (laughs) And I just feel like John, John Jackson Miller is one of the sort of most tenured Star Wars writers who is still writing. Now he wrote a bunch of the now, not canon legend stuff, but he's also done a bunch of stuff for Star Wars currently. He's also written a bunch of Star Trek books, making him one of the few people who has sort of worked in both of those worlds, which is interesting. And, and this is totally nerdy, he runs a website called Comicron, which tracks the monthly sales of different comics, and I use that Mm. site multiple times a month for multiversity-related things. So John Jackson Miller, one of my favorite people in comics because um, because of that, but he's also a good novelist, and like I said, has done... Work in both Star Wars and Star Trek, and I think that actually helps his Star Wars writing a bit. That he has a little bit of a broader perspective on writing like sci-fi than the the average um, Star Wars writer sometimes. Mm -hmm. But but, uh, Matt, what book did you think? uh, What story did you think I was going to talk
1: about? Oh, before. Well, I just want to mention that in my notes for Vader will see you now. I like the idea that Vader sits in his clamshell waiting to like spin around Uh and just get a gotcha (laughs) moment on it. (laughs) <laughs> um, but I thought you were going to talk about um,
2: where is it? There's always another. Oh, that's what I would have guessed too. I, yeah. I just yeah. someone would pick that one. The Obi Wan story. Yeah, yeah, because it has for me the
1: most Obi Wan of Obi Wan moments in it. <laughs> so the idea is Obi Wan is um on Dagobah, kind of reflecting over everything that happened trying to make sure it doesn't make the same mistakes with Luke that he did with Anakin. And he talks about the idea of being killed by Anakin, but not really being able to hold that against him because he knows the way that things went down. And the idea that Obi-Wan can't even find it in his heart to hold it against the person that killed him, like his own death is maybe the most Obi-Wan thing obi-wan could do so i just loved that moment in it
0: i thought that was a really good moment however in my notes i have um obi-wan bitch sesh because i feel like (laughs) through through a lot of it he's just like uh, oh these insufferable skywalkers just you know kind of complaining about them um which i don't mind i really don't um but yeah um i uh I feel like I am sometimes specific with with my Obi Wan love. Like mm-hmm. I don't think everybody always writes him all that well. I, thought, I did enjoy this story. That was my second favorite of this batch.
2: Hello, denizens of Earth twelve eighteen. We are the hosts of Make Mine Multiversity, a twice monthly podcast, and it is I, Jake, the Taskmaster one, and I'm Elias, the Bendis one. Make Mine Multiversity is your handy guide to all things Marvel. Each month, we get into it with long looks at the careers of Marvel creators, characters, themes, whatever. Sometimes that means we dig into the X-Books of the recent ish months, and sometimes that means figuring out which series is our monthly heavyweight champion. Sometimes we even have lists. And other times we have book clubs on Marvel series past and present. Coming down by good old Skylaser to your podcatcher of choice every first and third Friday, Excelsior. Excelsior indeed. But let's talk
0: about some of the not so effective ones here. There's a story called "Tooth and Claw" by Michael Coggy or Cog, which uh. basically is about how Bosk's dad was an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it's so it's so bad. And Bosk, I love as a character, mm-hmm. um, but I just think that it it's it's so terrible and it's so stupid. And the "I'm your long lost sister" is just horrible it's
0: it's such a hackneyed cliche way to end that story
1: yeah 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 Um, that's a bad one there's also virgins which is the tree that gets off on torturing people mentally yes um on (laughs) Deguba. yes (laughs) which is weird yeah, that, that's where the quote, uh, he stares into my chamber came from, Liz.
2: Yeah. <laughs> ah, okay. I, I, I didn't write that down in my notes. I just my only note was the cave on Dagobah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> which neither of those compare to how bad it is to have the Eloquy of the Space Eel. This is no cave.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Once I read that title, I knew where we were headed, right? Yes, yes. That's... um, my <laughs> one do- I tell my students to read titles,
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh. My my one note on divergence is that it does mention Qui-Gon in oh, there. Okay. It, it mentions that um Obi Wan that uh rather Yoda has like been conferring mm-hmm. with somebody there and that's that's Qui-Gon. So that was yeah. that's the only value in that story. The rest of it can go fuck itself, but it has <laughs> it has a Qui-Gon mention, so that's okay. Um yeah, this is no cave is not great. I the story oh, yeah. with
1: sorry, go ahead. Uh, one that was good before we <laughs> rip on other ones uh-huh. I, I forgot about um, For the Last Time which is another yet another we keep seeing these Vader killing his admirals thing because that's really one of three things that happens in the film right. which you realize after reading 40 stories set in one film that you're like wow there are really like three scenes of this movie <laughs> and a lot of dramatic long shots um, but this one the idea of the i forget which one he's killing at this point but just looking at vader with such like pity of this tortured soul in a you know fused to metal and just living this half life um was a really interesting look at vader i liked that a lot um i don't know which one of the thousands of terrible you know <laughs> command chain deaths that was but what i liked about that one is that
0: I believe it's piet mm-hmm. uh, is, he basically he he grows to not fear vader by the end of it mm-hmm. because he just does feel this pity for him and so like you said i thought th- that was pretty interesting too um i didn't love the story with uh called first lesson by jim zub who I actually i do like his comics a lot but that's the one about uh i believe that's the first the first time we see uh yoda um in this story and it's Yoda. Th- the interesting part about it is that Yoda is—he's um, meditating through this story, and he—he he sees that there's a Skywalker who is a Jedi, and he initially thinks it's Leia. I thought that was mm-hmm. interesting. Um, but I just thought that, t- to me, there's just there's so many of these stories that take place inside somebody's internal monologue, and. If there's anybody who we don't need more of their monologuing to me, it's Yoda. Like <laughs> yeah. we know how Yoda thinks. We don't. It just, mm-hmm. just seems very unnecessary. It seems like if you're gonna, you're only gonna have a couple Yoda stories. I wish they did a more interesting Yoda story.
1: Hmm.
0: Um. <laughs> yeah. uh let's see. Anything else from this section?
1: I'm trying to see where this section ends. Um. I think it ends with I the, the Obi Wan story the wor- is the last one. Oh, okay. Well, the worst, in my opinion, the worst written story was definitely Wait For It. So I'm going to put that on the top of the list. Um, the one about the bounty hunter who... <laughs> no, that was the Boba Fett story. That was the Boba Fett mm-hmm. one, yeah. Where he going to get this done quick and maybe even pound a cold brew. Yeah. Um, it was essentially, I don't know if either of you watched Robot Chicken, but it's really the Robot Chicken iteration of... Boba Fett, you know, shooting finger guns and <laughs> it's wild. It's so, it's so stupid. Boba Fett is better in the other story where he knocks out and kills a guy than in the story that highlights him. Yes. So,
0: which is a very Boba Fett yeah. existence to live.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that was one of those readings. Like, did no one proofread this and be like, this is way out of character. This doesn't make any sense. We sort of we see this happen again with the cloud city stuff uh-huh. Like these stories don't make any sense, butted up next to each with each other. Right. Um, but I feel like again, when you have forty stories about a, you know, minimal amount of topics, you just kind of get what you get. Sometimes.
0: But, but here's my here's my point with that, Matt. I'm glad you brought that up. I feel like if this was approached more like the Legends of Luke Skywalker book that we read, where mm-hmm. where not everything is necessarily canon, where there are mm-hmm. things that are different interpretations of it like if one of these stories was an Ugnot telling his grandkids about when he was evacuated from Cloud City and so there's this like haze of time and the sort of unreliable narrator of someone trying to impress their offspring like to me that could have been a far more interesting story than the multiple Ugnot stories we got in this section right you know there's just (laughs) they're they're too focused on the stories happening just off camera
1: Mm-hmm. And and they, I don't know I feel like so, so much of this is people Are just it, It's weird because this book Sits at a weird intersection of things That like this is canon But doesn't need to be Vetted in any Real way To the larger universe it feels like So it feels like Everyone is trying to check their Personal boxes like I am All for representation but I feel like maybe Star Wars doesn't need to have half of the characters be gay in this one book and have it nowhere else in the entire universe. What? It becomes obvious that you're only allowed to do these sorts of things when the stakes are super low. Mm-hmm. Do I appreciate someone writing a chapter about a giant bunny because just because George Lucas hates it? Yeah, that's cool. Do I like the term vibro-knuckler is now Star Wars <laughs> canon? Yes, but... Other parts of it are just like, I, I don't know where this sits in the bigger picture, you know?
0: Talk about the giant bunny for a second and George Lucas's feelings on that.
1: Yes, we need more. So the, the giant bunny who is mentioned in Fake It Till You Make It. Um, Jackson. Jackson. Yes. Um, he he appeared earlier in a comic series, maybe attached to Boba Fett, but one of like the 80s comics and George Lucas hated the idea of a giant bunny in his world of Star Wars um so the fact that they now baked it in via this story is just hilarious to me because that's the line that goes too far for him somehow right <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the and there and now the idea is canon of Vader setting up Yet another dramatic Tony Wonder moment sitting in the banquet hall waiting for Han and Leia. And a giant rabbit walks in and he goes, you know, he's going to go say his line. And the rabbit's like, whoop, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Bucky O'Hare just darts the other way. Like, I, I'm glad you mentioned
0: Bucky that's O'Hare. That's
2: Star Wars now. That's yeah. Star Wars. Also, does he walk like upright like a human or does yes. he walk on all fours? He, walks, no, upright.
1: he walk, walks upright with a, with a little bit of a hop when he needs to. Okay. Um, because I, I just, I studied very carefully a lot of the, the specific details of this rabbit. Cause I was just enamored by it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> by the way, Tony
0: wonder excellent arrest development poll there. Okay. Uh, second of all, I've said this maybe to you before, Matt, Tony wonder has the single best joke of all of season four of rest development, which is I'm here. I'm queer. Now I'm over here. <laughs> that, yes. is, that is by far the best joke of that entire season. Um, I think about that joke. No, I'm not kidding. At least once a week, I think of that joke yeah. and I chuckle to that myself. That could be the tagline for this book, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Love it. Love it so much. Um, <laughs> So one of the first stories in this section was one of my favorite stories, and it's it's one of my favorite stories for a for a kind of an odd reason. It's called But What Does He Eat? And it's by yes. S. A. Shakra Shakra I am so bad with names, I should never read names ever on the podcast. Um, but this is a story of basically a chef who works for Lando in Cloud City, who is summoned to make a meal for Vader and the Imperials. Mm-hmm. And did either of you read the Canto Bite book that came out? I did not. No. So it's a, it's a collection of four novellas, and there's a story in there about a space sommelier who is trying to like basically um get this like very very rare form of wine for a customer. And in that story, it was the first time I had read a Star Wars story where I felt like oh I can like I can taste what they're eating and drinking. Like it was just so well written. And this story was equally well written. I was getting hungry reading this. Like the, the, mm-hmm. the, the food descriptions in this are incredible. I could not believe how well that was done. And then you get this whole really interesting idea. One of, the, not the chef, but like the sous chef, basically asks the chef, like, why don't we just kill them? Why don't we poison them? And it's a really, really interesting idea that there was somebody who could have killed vader but again they don't know if he eats or how he eats and all that and it's it's really um it, it i it was one of my favorite stories and it turns out that this author uh lives in new jersey so woot woot, oh and, yeah. and has written uh a bunch of novels that um th- that have been nominated for a number of awards uh the, specifically there's a, a series called the uh Bad trilogy which I have now added to my Goodreads because I do want to check out more of her work because I really did mm-hmm. enjoy this story quite a bit.
2: Hmm. I, I will tell you that this would have been my pick too, Brian, for my favorite. Oh, okay. In section. Yeah, for you know the reasons you mentioned. And I thought it was interesting too, just the experience, like the Ugnat wanted to poison Vader and was very determined and it, you know, the chef was, you know, waffling and it felt like, you know, their two life experiences perhaps were very different, which also led to, you know, the chef deciding not to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Matt, was it yeah.
0: one here that you particularly enjoyed?
1: Oh man, I am trying to read over and find another one that was good because a lot of these are just, just real terrible. Um <laughs> Uh I'm trying to think a pass, Liz, and then
2: I'll i I'm I legitimately right. <laughs> I'm not sure yeah. yeah this last section, I, I don't know if it, I read through it quickly. Maybe I'd put as much time to it, but I, I I also had a tough time. i I think perhaps if I had to pick one quickly, um maybe the witness um, I had marked that one.
1: Okay, I yeah, I that one that one was good. That may well, be the only time that this whole like Imperials maybe aren't that bad sort of thing ever landed. Um, because it also was the only Imperial that felt any sort of guilt.
2: Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yes. Um disillusioned Agreed. by, yeah. you know, sort of just a regular person disillusioned by what they had chosen. Mm-hmm. Um I also like the idea, I'm I'm stealing your story no, now, but the idea
1: that this is also one of the only times you see an ex-imperial officer not being like, oh, I used to kill innocent people, but now I'm going to kill bad people instead.
2: Mm-hmm. And said
1: she was like, I've killed a lot of people I need to make right. You know, I'm able to organize people and I'm able to get people out of here safely. Let me take charge and help with the evacuation, which I was like, oh, that's a different take. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, not not Finn, you know, let me kill all my brothers now. It's like, all right, cool. (laughs) Yeah, I (laughs)
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah, also, yeah, I think it was at the end of this one where she sees Luke and Vader fight and she almost hears I am your father.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's again where the title is like, Oh, that's what she's witnessing. Yeah. (laughs) But
2: not quite. I
1: don't Ooh, man, I don't know. Oh, oh. I was I can I can tell you what I was most disappointed about because some of them again were bad. The you know the vibro knuckler beyond the clouds, you know, a heartwarming tale of a girl who wants to kill people for a living, but then really wants to be with the other girl who just is a, you know, casino gambler and they run off together and she decides not to kill people for a living instead, um, but I really the whole book. I was waiting for on Batu, the story of Wilro. So I, I want to talk about Wilro. Um, Liz, do you know who Wilro Hood is? I do not. Have okay. you not seen the running of the Wilros at every Star Wars um, convention?
2: I have not, sadly. Okay, so th- mm-hmm. this is
0: this is some like deep
1: nerd shit here. Ooh, all right, um, I'm ready. <laughs> Matt, I, I'm pretty sure you would agree
0: with me, right, <laughs> on this being yes. a deep merchant? Yes, yeah. So yes. there's a character in Empire, specifically in the scene where Lando is announcing the evacuation of Cloud City, where mm-hmm. everyone is running. And there's a black guy in an orange jumpsuit who is carrying an ice cream maker. Like, a, literally <laughs> an ice cream
2: just maker. Them. yep.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. And, um, and so... I don't know like what the origin is. He has no name in it, but the fans named him Willrow Hood. Mm-hmm. And every year at Star Wars Celebration, there are all these people dressed up as him. As there's a running of the Wilros, <laughs> um, and a, this, yes. it, it is such a deep nerd shit Star Wars thing. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I wanted this story to be more fun than it was mm-hmm. because I feel like that's such a fun weird thing. Yeah and th- how do
1: how do they get that one wrong?
0: Yeah, it just it just seems like such a
1: lost opportunity.
2: Yeah. Well now I'm disappointed too.
1: Yeah. I will I like the idea of there being this like upper crust of Cloud City. You know, stores that it was like Rodeo Drive, like appointment only shops that only cater to the richest of the rich. But then it just felt like I kept reading the same story over and over again, you know, tried to make it on Cloud City. Couldn't really get there, so I had to do something dirty, and now I'm gonna get out before it get I get what's coming to me. But maybe the like the Baron Munchhausen one would be my favorite. The man who built Clown City. Um it comes I, from the perspective I of I a believe, crazy old guy. I believe you mean the Fisher King. You're getting your um, <laughs> uh, um uh,
0: <laughs> You're getting your um Oh uh, the fuck, the Monty Python. Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam oh, confused. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it's, uh,
1: but the, the idea that he believes he was, you know, the king of cloud city and, you know, his throne was taken by Lando and this Lando clearly takes pity on this guy and sends one of his cloud guardsmen to make sure he's okay. And in doing that, that guy's family dies and he keeps doing what he's supposed to do, um, or at least his, family,
0: just... his family is gone. <laughs> we don't know if they died or they evacuated. I hope they – I like to believe they evacuated, but uh, mm-hmm. but who knows? Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and Grogu left the academy before uh, <laughs> Kylo got there. Hey, hey, you got to have hope, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and, and the reason I liked it, and I wrote this down, was that, you know – Rebellion, the whole book tells you that rebellions are built on hope, and that's something that's pounded into our heads again and again and again. But the idea that Star Wars is built on stories, and this was just a story a wild, out there, you know, story that you can read a clip of uh, on a part written on a metal on a park bench somewhere. And it's this larger than life thing. And again, you talked about it earlier. With That's what made the Legends Luke Skywalker work. And I think that's what made this work as well. Because it's kind of what I was looking for from this book, but not getting up until this point. Although by far my favorite story is Story 39. I, don't, I think that's out of the Cloud City one, but I guess there's only two in the post-Cloud mm-hmm. City, so I don't know if that counts or not. Yeah, talk about it. Go ahead. Yeah, that was uh, Right Hand Man, which is... Again, a great uh, rest of development style pun. (laughs) Um, He's all right. (laughs) He's all right. (laughs) He lost his left hand. Um, But the idea we see Luke talking with uh, the medical droid and him going through this whole range of emotions about how maybe he deserved to lose his hand. And maybe this was the punishment for not finishing his training. Maybe this is you know, his punishment for maybe flirting with the dark side. Um, And this medical droid just, you know, being able to be there for Luke. And we see Luke again with this affinity for droids. Um, It's something we see again and again in the Star Wars lore, and I really, really love it. This idea that Luke has not a lot of trust in people, but can relate with droids in this very specific way. And this right hand makes him just that little bit of droid as well. Um, and just the idea that him asking the medical droid, if he feels pain as the medical droid explains that with this right hand, he'll still have phantom nerve damage. Um, and that being a question that no one else in star Wars would ever ask. Um, and again, it's one of those moments that really sums up a character for me. And it really makes me remember why I love Luke. That even in this darkest of moments, even in this part of his journey, he still is this loving, curious kid. Um, so that's why I like that one a lot.
0: Yeah, it's a good story. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed that it one. Was... Um, I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to... Mention one more of the stories, which is uh, "Faith in an Old Friend" by Brittany N. Williams, and mm. this is the one that does what Rogue Two does in the first part. Which this we 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 get a little bit of L three, which if you recall from Solo, this is the droid Lando fucked, and um, <laughs> so <laughs>
1: it is still pining for him.
0: Yes, and so we get like her. Um, like uh, consciousness in the Falcon, and it again, it it this story is just there to reinforce a line of dialogue from Empire, which is mm-hmm. that three um, PO says like I've ne- I've never communicated with a with a droid like like the ship essentially right, mm-hmm. and it's because there's three voices in there, um, and I thought that this story was just okay, but I thought that, that was a fun way to sort of. Um, to sort of bring Solo into the book a little bit. Mm -hmm. And also I like the idea of there being the sort of the three voices of the Falcon. And I think that that's even something that could be explored in the future. Like maybe on Jakku, another droid got incorporated into it. You know, maybe that the the millennium collective, maybe that keeps growing. Mm
2: -hmm. You know, it it could be, it could be a thing,
0: you know, it's just, it's, I thought it was a fun idea.
2: Yeah.
1: Agreed. Um, Yeah. And V5T was amazing. Yes. That was the one who just kept yelling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um any other
0: stories in the book as a whole we we feel deserves our scorn or our
1: praise. I don't um Let me just I'm just a i am just I mean right. I couldn't tell you what the hell Bespin Escape was. I just wrote boo. <laughs> Hmm. There might have been the Ugnots. Yeah, there were Ugnots. There were a couple Ugnot escaping
2: ones, weren't there? There were. There um, were there were lots of escapes.
1: Yeah, I
0: yeah. I particularly did not like in this last section, um, the um, the backup backup plan one, which was like the mining guild and the. Um, and the empire fighting over the mines on Bespin but like it had yeah. almost nothing to do with the film and there are a lot of characters you're trying to keep track of and i just did not give yeah. a shit at that point
1: i was about to say like i don't yeah. know if i was just fatigued from reading the book Same. but that i could not follow it i didn't know who the hell was doing anything and then it just at the end turns out it was like oh nope double cross again Good thing these gays like each other. It's like, what is this shit? Like, I be, because I know you, I have to say this. You are
0: like the most compassionate person I know. I know. And, and, oh, and, I very yes. and, and, and I just want to make I want to make it very clear that this has nothing to do with anything. You're just saying that there's a purport, there's a highly proportional number yes. of gay stories
1: here. I, I I am sitting in my living room, literally surrounded by tie oh, um yeah masks that are being sold and all the funding is going to an LGBT um, organization in New York City. So it's not <laughs> that it. What, what makes me more mad is that there is so much representation in this book, but only in this book. Right. We don't see it in films. We don't see it in TV shows. Hey, there, really was, that one, there was that one point, kiss. There was that one kiss at the end of Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. One kiss at the end of Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. And this one uses Protocol Troid as a gay slur. Like I don't know what's going on in Star Wars, to be honest. It's it's just a lot like and even even Lando when they're like, oh, this pansexual um, character in Solo, it's like that. Where where was that? He wore capes, so we're supposed to assume that means he has you know queer tendencies. Get be- out of here! I, be- I believe that was a reference again to him fucking a droid. <laughs> <Just the laughs> yeah,
2: droid. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, to be fair, that droid is the most masculine female in acting, but <laughs> I don't think that really tips the scale in any sort of way. <laughs> like, it, that that's what's frustrating. Yeah, that to be very clear about it, that's what's frustrating to me about this is it feels like, why is it only in this space that we're allowed to be inclusive? Yeah. Why can't we have these type of characters elsewhere? I mean, they fit naturally into this world. Like, just let people be people and not force them into these very, very, very niche areas. Where, yes, it's gr- I'm very glad we have this, you know, celebration of love in a lot of different ways But why is it in a weird book that's filled with crappy stories that (laughs) very few people are going to read? Right. (laughs) So, yeah,
0: I I agree with
2: that. I agree, too.
0: Yeah. Um, I just want to throw a little bit of um, shade on the last story, The Will Strike Back, which is basically (laughs) uh, Tom Engelberger trying to be the bots from Mystery Science Theater 3000 during the opening crawl of the film. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it just doesn't work yeah.
1: no well you you read the first one
0: I, as I well did, correct? i did i, I did i i've read a couple of stories i've not read the whole thing yet
1: okay apparently that that's how the first one ends as well and i'm assuming that's how the jedi one is going to end as well the one we're gonna so, have to read in three years yeah yeah i mean it's gonna happen one way or another it's oh boy. You know, buckle yeah. Up. yeah the good well, news we, is yeah, that then we start getting the prequel ones how well, many
0: gunkan stories we read I was going to say, we're going to have like 17 years between – or 16 years <laughs> between the 40th anniversary of Jedi yeah. and the fourth anniversary of The Phantom Menace. So maybe we'll be uh, – I mean, I hope we're still doing the podcast in 16 yeah. years. That's right. <laughs> That's 16 years from Jedi. So 18 years from now. So Oh,
2: man. Well, know. you know what?
1: what I, I feel like maybe they shouldn't have hit the bar so high. Like it didn't need to be 40 every time. Right. Yeah. Forty feels like a lot of stories to read in a row.
0: Well, I mean, to be fair, <laughs> we're we're the idiots who decided to read this. Like this, <laughs> th- this could have been a book that sat on my nightstand, and I could have read one story every every time the the fancy struck me over the next year of my life, and I probably would have had a very different opinion of this.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, we we had a time constraint, and a our... somewhat different opinion of it. Let's not get. I said,
0: I said somewhat. I'm I i didn't. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that it's necessarily going to, like, you know, that this would have changed my life yeah. had I read it, you know, piecemeal. Um, oh, there's
1: some very good ones, and I wonder, too, I mean, obviously, like, with Sloan, and there's other characters, and I know there are places to engage with them elsewhere. I wonder, you know, if utilizing this as more of a jumping-off point would have been, you know, a good opportunity, but I don't know. I think, that, I mean, the next thing we're supposed to read is uh, Old Republic, so that's not, yeah, that's I, what Star Wars is telling me right now. That's what I need to be interested in. <laughs> uh, I, I believe you mean the High Republic. Oh, High Republic, I apologize. Uh, I, Old I have, Republic is a
0: video game. Yes, uh, I, I have read the first High Republic book, and it's good, and we'll talk about mm-hmm. that. A different time. I, I do want to get your guys' takes on those, but there's a lot. T- We've done a lot of reading lately, so I think we're gonna take a break from uh, from books mm-hmm. for a little while on the show, at least. Um, but yeah, you know. So overall, I, I think my thoughts on this are just that there was some good stuff, there was some shit, and I wish that this was presented in a slightly different way. And by that, I just mean I wish that there was. M- I would sacrifice this being a quote canon story that matters. For it being a more enjoyable book, and I recognize that a lot of people would not make that same trade; that they would rather all the stories matter. And to me, that's like the least important part of this.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. Yeah, I, I'm with you there, Brian. I and may, maybe I'm wrong, but for me, it just feels like all these books try to be, and even the Canto bite one, even the Legends of Skywalker, they're all trying to be. Tales from Jabba's Palace which was just a gem of weird crap in the old extended universe that told the stories of all the different bounty hunters and other thugs and gangsters and whatever that resided in Jabba's Palace um but you have to remember the reason that stuff could be cool is because it was allowed to be freewheeling and weird and when it tries to fit some sort of expectation it just doesn't work star wars is best when it's not trying to be something else and i think these are kind of locked into that a little bit yeah yeah
0: well thanks for listening everybody um i'm kind of springing this on everybody are we gonna talk clone wars next
1: yeah we can oh can i just say read the book guys it's actually it's we i i want to give it a, a recommendation you should read it
0: yeah, I would suggest reading reading this in pieces, though. Do not yes, make this yeah. – like, yes. again, this is like – and maybe this is a little bit crude for our audiences. This is a perfect, like, bathroom book, right? You sit down, you read a story, you're done.
2: <laughs> you, you move on. I was wondering where crude was getting there. Yeah, right? I know, like, Yeah. Mm.
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> and also, the authors weren't paid for the stories. I think the proceeds went to a nonprofit. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. definitely then read it.
0: Yeah, so, so buy it and read it. Um, yeah. You know. <laughs> So for sure. And, and I do think that the, the seven or eight really good stories here make it worth the price of admission, mm-hmm. um, even if the seven or eight worst ones make you want to <laughs> bang the book against your head. And it's a big book, so it will <laughs> it, it, it might do some damage there. Um, but anyway, we'll return in a few weeks to talk about uh, The Clone Wars Seasons 7 and 8. And remember, the Force will be with you always. I said seven and eight. I meant six and seven. (laughs)
2: Bye.